the spiritual significance of all of that will become obvious in a few minutes. But classic from the uh, Monty Python boys there, way, 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 way back. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, and uh, I am so happy to be sharing with you today a message. And we're continuing our series today that we started last week called Before and After. We're shining the light on the before and after difference that Jesus makes. Uh, it's not just a difference in our individual lives, uh, although that is for sure a huge difference, but we're talking about a revolutionary event of his coming to earth 2,000 years ago and how it changed everything for everyone, including the way we relate to God, including the way that we read scripture, how we view religion. There is this clear dividing line in history which we, we can boldly declare things were this way before and now they are this way. There, there, is a, there is a before and after difference. There is a but God kind of difference, right? When God comes on the scene, Christ has come, nothing will ever be the same. The old has passed away, the new has come. And that before and after difference affects even the, the holy scriptures that we, we read. Try an experiment here. If if any of you have a, uh, an actual paper and leather or faux leather or whatever it is, Bible on you, if you go to the very first verse, the very first verse in this Bible, Genesis 1-1, just as a little experiment here, you go to that first verse and then you flip back one page or maybe two pages in your Bible. There'll be three big words there. It'll be a, probably a big blank white piece of paper with three words on it. The what? Old Testament. That's right. By the same token, if you go to the first verse of the Gospels, Matthew 1.1, and you flip back one page, you'll see another clean white sheet with three words on there. What does it say? The New Testament. Look at, look, at, look at these Bible scholars in the room today. We got the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? So that's no big news. Most, most people know that. But how you see this distinction between the old and the new actually has a huge impact on how you understand your relationship with God. There's, there's enormous consequences to how you define the word old and new. So we're going to dive into this a bit further. There is within Christianity, uh, there's a kind of Christianity that sees the Bible as a sort of flat document. We, 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 we call it reading it flatly, um, meaning all of the Bible is equally uh, an equally authoritative uh, guidebook for how we're to live. Old Testament, New Testament, every page of this Bible is given equal credence, um, and it continues to be true. No matter what verse you go to, it it's continues to be equally true for us today. So whether we're in the New Testament Gospels or the letters of Paul, or we're in the Old Testament Psalms or Leviticus, we would just say, well, look, here, here's, a, here's a page. It's in the Bible, right? There's, it's a verse. It's, in the, it's the Word of God that settles it. So whatever I read from this Bible, I follow it. No questions asked. And, 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 and we call this a, a flat reading of Scripture. 
And the New Testament in this kind of understanding is really kind of a sort of add-on. We, we add on the New Testament. It's not so much a, a but God moment as a oh, and God also moment. You know, Jesus comes and, and God also does this. And this is how a lot of folks um, approach the scriptures. That the, the New Testament isn't so much a, a ripping of the veil, you know, that signals, signals an end to one thing and a fresh new beginning, but it's more of a supplement to the Old Testament, it, like, you know, like an amendment to the Constitution or something, or, or like, I don't know, you bought an extended warranty on your toaster oven or something. It's, it's this thing you add on. And as I said, this, at first, this sounds like a, a really good way to read our Bibles. In fact, it sounds, we would use the word biblical, right? Sounds very biblical. We're going to equally honor all the words of Scripture. But there's a bunch of problems that we run into uh, with this approach to Scripture. Number one, it actually gets you kind of twisted into some paradoxical positions and trying to explain some things, right? Because it ignores the fact that according to Scripture, the incarnation, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ has actually made a big difference in history, right? Something actually happened with Jesus that has introduced to us a new covenant, which is what the word testament simply means, right? You have those words right there before Matthew 1.1. New testament means a new covenant. And so that makes... The thing about that is it is a new reality. It's not just an add-on. It is a new reality. And so it makes the old covenant truly the old one. It makes it old. And not old as in like that comfy old blanket you got at home that you love to cuddle up with. You know, it's always there for you on a cold day. It makes it old as in the former, the, the no longer relevant, like an ex-parrot, right? It is no more, right? And the Bible itself, it turns out, actually uh, refers to the truth about itself. We're going to look at some of this today. Galatians, for instance, the whole book is pretty much uh, written to help flesh this out. The Apostle Paul deals with a lot of this in the book of Romans, which we're going to look at today. We're going to, we'll, we'll be there. Um, but I love the way the book of Hebrews, the writer deals with this really boldly in Hebrews chapter 8. The writer says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one, what's it say? Obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. That's pretty strong words, right? I mean, if I just came and just said that to you without the blue, we never looked at the Bible. You might be like, this guy's a heretic. But it's in the Bible, right? Obsolete. Did you ever think you would see a part of the Bible calling parts of itself obsolete? It's pretty harsh language. How has he made it obsolete? As law, we're no longer under it. We're no longer under the law, right? So it's obsolete to us. But it's not obsolete as, as history for us to learn from because the writer of Hebrews, uh, he definitely has great respect for the old covenant. He's just saying it's not our current covenant, right? I was thinking about an example of this. We live, right now we're sitting on, on land that if you were here hundreds of years ago, belonged to the, the great nation of Mexico, right? It was Mexico. And that's where we are right now. 
Now, if you were like, you know, I just go in for the old ways. I just like the old ways. I'm going to pay my taxes to Mexico City. But you're welcome to try. They'd probably appreciate it, the money, but it's not going to accomplish anything. It won't accomplish anything. And you'll sure run into an argument with the guys up in Washington, right? Because you belong to someone else, right? By being here, you're a part of a whole different community, a whole different family, right? It, it was that, but it's not that anymore. And the writer says what's obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. At the time that this was written, um, there were still uh, f- some sacrifices that were being made at the temple. So that was still happening. Uh, people were making sacrifices in Jerusalem at the temple. But you know, within a generation, that temple was destroyed and the age of sacrifice came to an end once and for all. It still hasn't come back, right? He says it's on its way out. The, the writers of New Testament say this, this age is already on its way out. It's already old and outdated. This is the New Covenant's commentary on the Old Covenant. So he's trying to invite us all to step completely into the new. The word for obsolete here, by the way, Jesus uses the same word in the Greek in a a little thing he tells in Luke chapter 12. He says, sell, oh, can you hit that for me? I've lost my connection. Luke chapter 12, it says, sell your possessions and give to the poor Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. That will not wear out. Hmm. It's the same word as obsolete in Hebrews 8. It's a word that refers to something that is so old, so, so worn out, you just can't preserve it anymore, right? You've tried, you've, you've, got, you've sewn patches onto it because you just love it. You hate to throw it out. You've, you've tried everything you can. Eventually, it's fallen apart. You've replaced the soles on the shoes over, but now they're just falling apart. It's worn out. It's something that's been so well used. It served a great purpose, but now it just cannot be redeemed. You can't fix it anymore. It's like uh, back in my 20s, when I was cool, I had this rockin' light blue Subaru station wagon. And oh, this thing was a thing of beauty. Had the, like, it was four-wheel drive station wagon. You remember those Subaru station wagons back then? Light blue, had the mud flaps on the back. Loved this car. It carried stuff. You know, me and my boys, we'd throw all of our, all of our stuff around. And it would break, and I would get it fixed. It would break, I'd get it fixed. And then one day, I was heading out of town, and right there on the side of the highway, it started overheating. It started overheating, and I was just like, oh, come on, baby, get, get, just get me to the exit so I can get off the road. And it's trying, and it, I got almost to the exit, and it just boom, completely quit, and it smokes pouring out. I lift the, the hood, and it had this aluminum block engine that had just completely melted into this like solid piece and uh yeah and so the record driver came you know took it to the place there was nothing to be done like I think I sold it to the the I don't remember the record driver or the the mechanic for like a hundred bucks here it's yours there's nothing you could do but walk away right goodbye champ you did good Subaru um but that's that's what it means here just old it's wore out it can't be redeemed it's for putting away that's what this means that's what Hebrew 8 is saying about the Old Covenant. Time to move on. 
The Old Testament actually um, uh, foresees this, uh, foresees this happening. Go to the next slide. It has this prophecy. The Old Testament has a prophecy saying in Jeremiah that this is actually uh, a temporary covenant that will be replaced by a new covenant. Jeremiah says though there's going to be a day when the covenant will come and it will be a different to this one. So the Old Testament is actually self-reflective on itself. It has that it has a shelf life. It recognizes that the new covenant reflects back and says, "Yes, this is new." Jesus himself at the last supper. Go to the next slide. Says, "This is a new covenant in my blood." This is language that Jesus is using. The new covenant in his blood poured out. And he says, I am the fulfillment of what this old covenant was prophesying. The first century church understood the, kind of the shocking implications of this. They, they understood this is, a, this is a big deal. And they were living through this. They thought, well, we're in this new covenant now. Jesus has somehow changed things significantly. But what do we do with the old? What do we do with this? Because it's full of all these rules and regulations and rituals and routines. There's a lot going on in the Old Testament. And the new covenant doesn't necessarily call its followers to follow these things. So, you know, what do we do? Do we throw out a whole chunk of our Bible, the two-thirds of our Bible, and get rid of this? No. The New Testament actually still holds a high honor for the Old Testament. Second Timothy says all Scripture, when it's saying that, it's referring to the Old Testament, all Scripture is still profitable. It's still profitable for us to learn from. Uh, so we're, we, uh, we're learning what to do with this Old Testament. It, and learning this is fundamental uh, for all of us to understanding how we use our own Bibles. And, and that's going to shape our faith as we move forward. This is going to help you, uh, I believe, for the rest of the year, just by understanding this principle today. So what are we to say about the Old Testament? Um, let's see. We would say that Jesus completely ends the old as law. He completely fulfills it in his life. That's the way he put it, that he has fulfilled the law. And yet the old forever exists as a testament, as a testimony to how God has worked in history with people. And so that we can continue to appreciate the heart, the heart of God through the story of humanity, how he has worked. But we're not bound by any of the law, right? We're not bound by any of the law. Because, you know, this is, this is Texas. It's not Tejas anymore, right? We're, we're not bound by, you don't have to worry. I wonder what the laws of Mexico are when I go outside. We're just not bound by it. It'd be interesting to learn, but you're not bound by it. It won't do you any good here. It's fulfilled in Christ. So we follow Christ. And when you follow Jesus, you'll fulfill what God wants you, what God wants for you. So we would say rather than a flat reading of our, of our Bible, we understand that all of the Bible, all of Scripture, old and new, points to Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. It's called being Christocentric. We have a Christocentric view of even the Holy Bible. Jesus is at the center. We read the old and the new through the lens of Christ. We want to learn all we can about Christ. We can see types and shadows and signs pointing to Christ. 
from the past, from the Old Testament, and everything in the New Testament forward points back to Christ, right? So we can learn how God dealt with Israel in the past, and we see these types and shadows of Jesus, sometimes his self-giving love breaking through the clouds, breaking through the fog, as it were. We see God revealed. Other places, as we mentioned last week, we see humanity's great need for God to be fully revealed. Okay. So all of that was introduction. So thank you for the introduction. There we go. Now, let me share today's message. I'll, I'll, I'll be short. I'll keep it short, I promise. Um, last week, we, we studied, we wanted to have a better understanding of how this before and after event of Jesus uh, affects our understanding of God's love, right? We can actually go back and re-understand, better understand God's true love, the nature of his love. This week, we're going to look how this before and after difference affects our relationship with law. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to go to Romans 1, then we'll go to chapter 3, then we'll go to chapter 7. First, Romans chapter 1. Paul's been talking uh, about the gospel, that he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He says, this whole book I'm writing you right now is going to be about this gospel. And he says in verse 17, for in the gospel, the gospel, remember that's just a word that means good news. It's like a proclamation. Back then, the, the, the messenger would arrive at a city and proclaim gospel, which was like good news. Hey, we won the war, or there was a prince or princess born, you know, to the king or, and queen, you know, or something like that, or, or the king's coming to town or something like that. They would come and proclaim good news. That was gospel. And so the, the early Christians had uh, just grabbed onto this word and said, hey, this is, this is exactly what we're doing. We're, we're proclaiming this good news. He says in the, good, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. It's a huge phrase. We're going to get a little technical today uh, just for a few minutes, and then we're going to make it practical at the end, I promise. Just hang with me here. He's letting you know here that this gospel is about the contrast between the new and the old. There's a contrast here. In the Old Testament, the law of God is revealed. The law. And so you needed to work through that in order to maintain good relationship with God. Um, but now there's a righteousness that is from God that explains God to us. Um, and he's going to go on to explain, not only has this righteousness been shown to you, but it's been given to you as a gift. He says the righteousness of God is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul really helps bring this home in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he's been talking about how sinful we are, Jews and Gentiles, and he points out this interesting dilemma you may have noticed as you're reading your Bibles. He says, you know, the Jews had the Torah, and they had the law of God, and sometimes it helped, and sometimes it didn't. Like when you look at the actual day-to-day -day life and the history, you know, of the Jewish people, in some ways, he says, the Jews were just as messed up as the, the Gentile nation, right? The, the guys living around them, they would continually go astray. So, so a lot of good that the law did, right? He says, now, how do we explain that? They had the law of God, and yet it didn't necessarily make them more righteous. And so he's talking about the sin that Jews and Gentiles all experience together. And then he says this in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So he's saying, even for those people who carry it out, it's still not enough, right? And many people just can't carry it out. It's just too hard. 
right? It's too detailed. The standards are too high. It's just too much. And so the law of God is not how you find righteousness. He says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Oh, there's the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It sets the standards really high and lets you know that in and of yourself, you just can't do it. You can't do it. So it's almost like in some sense, it was designed to, to exhaust us of our, our, self, our, our propensity to, to, to self-salvation, right? We all have that kind of idea, like if I just work a little harder, I can make it. I can be good enough to whatever, fill in the blank. We all have that propensity. If I just do more, if I work harder, if I jump through more hoops, if, I, if I'm a little more religious, I can finally be good enough to get to heaven, to get that healing, to get the blessing, to make God like me again, if I could just get good enough. And God says, if you really want that root, I'll give you that root, and you'll see how exhausting it is. And maybe then you'll be ready for grace. Amen. Amen. The rabbis in Jesus' day believed you had these two forces inside you, pushing and pulling, that you had the, the sort of good inclination, um, what, what Freud would call the superego, right? You had your, your good angel over here on this shoulder, and that was pushing you to do the right thing. And then you had your bad inclination inside you too, what Freud would later call the id. And, and these two guys were, were always pushing and pulling against you. And, and so you have these inclinations, good and evil. And they believed that there was a way to increase your good inclination, and decrease the bad by meditating on Torah. That was kind of the prescription. Meditate on Torah. Just meditate on Torah, and it'll make you just want to do good. But here, Paul, in a very kind of bold, risky, masterpiece move here, he's arguing just the opposite. He's saying, actually, no, meditating on the law is just going to increase your temptation right? What he's suggesting is the law is actually going to raise your sin consciousness and not in a good way. He says this in Romans 7. He says really well, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. Those sinful passions aroused by the law. So our sin aroused by the law. This isn't hard to figure out. Try telling a kid, little Billy, here's the one thing I do not want you to do. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. Little Billy, what does he want to do more than anything, right? If your kid's like mine, that's the worst thing to tell somebody. Don't think about that. Don't do that. Don't say that. Oh, man, right? In and of ourselves, just a law isn't the cure. Paul says, actually, it's part of the problem. He says, so that we bore fruit for death. We bore fruit for death. But now, all right, there's that but God scripture, right? Here we are. But now, but now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Wow. So Paul is saying some pretty shocking things here, especially for somebody 
remember, Paul is an expert in the law, right? He calls himself super Jew. He's like, I, I know it all, right? If, if we're going by how good and how much we know and apply and live by, I'm, I'm the greatest there is. But he says it's all worth nothing, right? Especially, he says, he's telling us something so important that simply living your life, staring into the law, avoiding what it says to avoid, keeping all the rules, actually tends to make you more conscious of the sin and the temptation living, living in you. So the law isn't the cure, but it does reveal how much we need the Holy Spirit that Jesus brings, right? All of Scripture reveals God or reveals our need for God. And that's what the law does. It reveals our incredible, desperate need for God. So back to Romans 3. Let's look at something. We, we looked at verse 20 before, that through the law we became conscious of sin. And that's what, what you get with the old covenant. And then here, hear those big, big words again, but now, but now, right? This is one of the, the big buts of the Bible right here, but now. Uh, Tim Keller wrote, there are few words that are more glorious than the but that begins Romans 3.21. Few words more glorious. We're staring right into the heart of the gospel right here, guys. It's right here. But now, something new is coming. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Ah, okay, so there's still use for the Old Testament scriptures. We're still, we, right? We're not, we're not tearing that out of our Bibles. They're still, because they're pointing to Jesus. They're testifying we still keep our Old Testament because it testifies to the new covenant. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Shocking thing for a super Jew to say in the year one. Nothing, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. You have been justified. You have been made righteous, he says. Remember justification? Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And that word made righteous is the exact same word. It's the same word in the Greek as justified, made righteous. You don't earn it, you're given it. Just by just trusting in Christ. By trusting in Christ. To kind of sum this up, uh, visually, if you're visual like I am. The word for sin is, is a word that means literally missing the mark. Missing the mark. It was a Greek word, harmatia. And it means, it, it referred to an archer back then. Missing the mark. We're, and apparently, we are just really, really bad archers. <laughs> right? Apparently, we just keep missing the mark. And sometimes we get close Sometimes we hit it on a really good day, right? If everybody's watching. Uh, but just often, most often, we miss the mark over and over again, generation after generation. Just look at the world around us and what we have done with this place. We keep missing the bullseye. And sure, some people sin less than other people. You can always compare yourself to someone worse, and say, well, I'm a little bit better. I'm a little better than that. But that's like trying to swim from Galveston to Cancun and saying, well, I got a little farther than the other guy. 
you're still shark meat, right? <laughs> a little better, not so good. It doesn't help. When the standard is hitting the bullseye all the time, it doesn't matter. We're all missing the standard if that standard is God's holiness, God's perfection. So here comes religion. Bless its heart. Religion comes along and says, I'm gonna, we're going to offer you classes in archery. <laughs> we're going to get together every Sunday morning and teach you how to be a better archer. Throughout the week, you're going to shoot arrows, practice arrows all week long. Hopefully, you'll get better. Fingers crossed. Um, religion says, we're going to get you a manual to study so that you can learn more about archery. Maybe you can learn the history of archery. It's fascinating. Um, you know, the beauty of archery and, uh, and how they make the arrows. We'll teach you how to make a better bow. That's what religion does. It tries to make you a better archer. But you're always under the yoke, that pressure to hit the bullseye every time. Every time. The gospel steps between you and everything that you are trying to achieve but failing to achieve through religion. And the gospel gives it to you as a gift. So God says, I'm just going to give you my righteousness. I've always known you can't. I just wanted, I wanted to make sure you knew you can't, right? Now, let's, let's just have a relationship based not on your perfection. You're hitting the mark based on my love for you. That is what the relationship is based on. The point of this whole message today is to remind you you do not have to live your life trying to live up to old covenant law, old covenant religion, old covenant rules and regulations, routines, old covenant sacrifice. And there is something about that that's hard to let go of. You know, you would think like, we'd be all like, yay. But practically speaking, it's hard to let go of that. It requires humility. It requires trust in him, humbling ourselves, Right? And the answer here, guys, isn't just to um, sprinkle in like chocolate chips, you know, a little, a little new covenant Jesus into your old covenant batter. Um, Jesus isn't just an add-on for believers in Christ. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple ripped wide open, right? It made it obsolete. When Jesus said, when Jesus said, a new command I give you, notice the meaning of the word new. He wasn't giving you a 657th command to add. Here's a, he didn't say another command I give you. He said a new command. It wasn't just another thing to add to the burdens. He was upgrading you to a whole new list, right? Relationship 2.0. The other is gone. And that list has exactly one command on it. To love, to love others with the love that he, is a, he offers you. I'm going to offer you this love, Jesus says. And here's your command, love others with the same love. Love others with the same love. Now, for us, this all comes with a caution, right? There's a little, little caveat on the side here. It means there are some Old Testament ethics 
that don't quite fit anymore into the New Testament kingdom of God. Okay? Because sometimes we get like, yeah, I like the grace part, but I still want to hang on to some of this Old Testament ethics. We have to learn. We've got a whole new ethic Jesus teaches us, right? Our highest prayer now is no longer to just have more land and sheep and cattle than the other guy, right? That was a good prayer in the Old Testament. But you don't hear Jesus and the apostles in the early church praying all the same prayers they prayed in the Old Testament. Nor do we invoke Old Testament uh, racism and violence, nationalism and sexism, even though we can make it sound real biblical. We can quote chapter and verse, right? Paul the apostle, he identifies those things for what they always were, works of the flesh, right? Even Jesus says, the things you were allowed to do, it's because of the hardness of your heart. You guys were hard of heart, right? God had to let you get away with that stuff. Things are different. Things are different. They're works of the flesh. So just because, you know, David in the Psalms prays for God to bash in the skulls of his enemies, doesn't make it okay for us, right? It's a new covenant. We have a new relationship with God, a new understanding of our purpose in the world, of our relationship to our enemy, not just our neighbor, but our enemy, right? Enemy love, which wasn't a thing in the Old Testament. There's no enemy love in the Old Testament, right? There might be a little bit of mercy, like, uh, do I kill him slowly or quickly? You know, New Testament, enemy love? Enemy love. Jesus gives us a new command, a new ethic, self-sacrificial love. It's the way of grace. It's the way of mercy. And that means that even our loyalties are a little bit different now. You know, our loyalties, it's, and, and it's fine and, and awesome to, uh, noble to, to love your country, you know, or, you know, I, I love America. I'm so blessed to be born here. I recognize this is a very unique place in all of time and history that I just, through no earning of my own, stumbled on here. You know, I got to be born here. This was, that was awesome. And it's fine for you to love your country. If you're from Mexico, love it. If you're from Canada, Nigeria, you know, we have folks in our auditorium right now from all over the world. You can love your country. Love it. That's wonderful. But understand this. For the Old Testament Israelite, for that Old Testament Israelite, their, their religion and their nationhood was an inseparable concept. They, they wouldn't have seen those things as anything different at all. It was religion, right? Um, and so their kingdom, when they talk about kingdom, it was the soil and the stones and the land that ended at the borders of Israel, right? That was the, the end of that. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And what are we told? It is worldwide. We're ambassadors of a worldwide kingdom of God. Praise God. And it doesn't need defending because our king is, number one, omnipotent. And number two, our king, his gates are always open, he says. And he welcomes absolutely everyone who wants to enter. You don't even have to show a visa, right? We're ambassadors of that nation, that kingdom of God. So things are different. So things are different. We can, we can read the Old Testament and appreciate that and understand where they're coming from, but it doesn't mean we have the same relationship as they do to the things around them. 
We have been made free from the law of the old covenant. Praise God. And that frees us to be self-giving, enemy-loving ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Amen? There's, there's so much more we could say on this. Um, but really, uh, w- w- what we're trying to do here is kind of just give you uh, an idea, lay some foundational groundwork here for uh, just how we roll. This is kind of the DNA of this church as, as Jesus people who want to be people who are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, who help each other be more like Jesus. It's very important to us. So this is just helpful stuff. Um, there's so much more we could say, uh, the implications of all this. And I, I am excited that we are going to be able to, you'll be able to talk about this some more. You have a chance finally in home groups, uh, home life groups, which uh, starting this week, woo, um, they're kicking off a brand new season this week. If you're not currently embedded in one of our home life groups, uh, we absolutely would love for you to come in. They're not like a closed off exclusive group. We love everybody to come. Uh, let me just take a moment to encourage you uh, to, be, to become part of one, to check one out this week. Hopefully make it a part of your personal discipleship um, by diving into one of these. We currently have three groups uh, right now because our numbers are still, as you can look around, our numbers are still kind of small. So, so right now we just have three home life groups that are meeting every week. Uh, we've got Lauren and Stephanie Lindsay. Uh, uh, they meet on Thursdays in Oak Ridge. Is Lauren somewhere? Is Stephanie somewhere? There's somewhere. There he is. There's Lauren. There's Stephanie. Oh, look at it. They're so pretty. All right. Uh, they have a good time. Thursday nights, they're kind of serving the Oak Ridge area, but you know, you're welcome to go there if that night and day works for you, if that uh, day and uh, time works for you. Um, John and Johnice, right here on the front row. Wave at everybody. John and Johnice. There they are. Awesome. Awesome. They meet also on Thursdays. They meet right here on campus in, in our green room, and uh, they have a great time. So if you're somewhere and the church itself kind of is a nice geographic hub for you, uh, you're welcome to come and be with them. They have a great time. And then on Fridays, John and Brenna, there's Brenna, who's, by whose hand you're hearing my voice this morning. Uh, they have a great time. They're on Fridays. And so if you have like little kids and you're worried about like school the next morning, it's a great group to come to um, because you don't have to worry because the next day Saturday. And they serve uh, back in the woodlands. And so any, any of these groups would love to have you come by as often as you can. Um, maybe you're new to G Church. If you are, then let me just tell you a little bit about Home Life. It, it, home Life is our version of, of home groups. It's our weekly home groups. Uh, when you come to Home Life, just kind of know what to expect. It's very laid back. It's fun. Uh, we eat some food. Uh, we, we get to know each other. We have some time to visit. Um, and then we study scriptures. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. Um, at, at Generations, it is, Home Life is one of the primary ways that we help each other grow in our faith uh, and become more like Jesus. These are a couple things. Let me just show you a couple things that Home Life does for us. Home Life uh, connects us in community. And community is a big important thing. It's not just like a little buzzword. Uh, community is very important because let's face it, right now where we're sitting, uh, we, uh, Sunday morning doesn't fully connect us together, does it? I, you're hearing me rattle on, but I'm not getting to hear you back, right? And you're not getting to talk to each other uh, very well. We're, we're all sitting facing the same direction. So home life is where we, we come and we turn our rows into circles and uh, we enjoy face-to-face community. Because we really believe you're not designed to grow in your faith by yourself. It's not a solitary endeavor. Uh, It's just not, I mean, you can, you know, it's not like a sin, but uh, you're doing it the hard way. It's not really designed. We don't see that in the New Testament, doing things by, you know, fighting your battles outside of community. And the answer to growing in wisdom 
uh, is actually not just, well, I'm going to study more when I get home. I'm going to study more and I'm going to, uh, you know, just by myself or I'm going to listen to more podcasts, you know, or something like that. God's will for our lives, we've seen this played out over and over, his will for our lives, his growing us up in maturity is often revealed, most often I would say, in community through your brothers and sisters, uh, the things that they have to say. Um, that's just how this works. You know, if God always revealed everything that we needed to know when we were alone and in private, um, he would actually encourage us to separate. We would see that more in scripture. He would have reinforced the ethic of separateness in the New Testament church instead of togetherness. Um, now, yes, you should have those private times every day. I hope you're putting a little time aside to pray and, and seek the Lord every day, your private prayer times. But what if all of us, when we do that, we have our private time, and then we were coming together into community to really flesh out what God is saying to us. Oh, can you imagine the powerhouse that that creates, right? In our home life groups, we have this opportunity. Home life, more than, I got to say just personally, for more than any other environment for me, is where I am most challenged. It's where I'm most encouraged uh, by other people. Um, I love my home life group, and I love that they don't uh, they they don't act weird about me being the pastor. I'm not really pastor there. I'm just Scott. Uh, my home life tribe will ask me, "How are you doing? You know, how are you really doing?" And uh, you know, they're not afraid to say, "I had a problem with the message that that guy preached on Sunday." You know. <laughs> Let's, let's, let's get at it, right? Um, it's very, it's accountable fellowship. And I love those people. And we don't gather because we're of similar age or stage in life. We're very diverse in that group. And uh, for me, it is just the most beautiful evening of the week. I love it. Um, and the second thing Home Life does, I would say this, of the many things, but just to distill it down, is it, it inspires us to live out what we're learning about. We live out what we're learning about. So usually, um, just so you know, on, at our home life groups, what we encourage our groups to do is to dive deeper into the Sunday message. Uh, so you learn stuff on Sunday. You're sitting here absorbing all of this, I'm sure. Um, but what a great opportunity halfway through the week to go and reinforce that rather than wait seven whole days without ever thinking about it again. Um, and, and home life also, it really provides a safe space for us to actually practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we believe the gifts, the Holy Spirit is pouring out to each and every one of us. And it's a safe space for us to practice those gifts. It's a beautiful place. Um, if you feel, a, you know, you're in home life and you feel a prophetic word for the person sitting beside you, home life is a place where you are encouraged to give that voice, even if you're kind of a novice at that sort of thing, right? There, nobody's going to judge you or make you be quiet. It's just a place we can, we can put that into practice and grow spiritually. So I hope you'll come this week to one of our groups, and help us be more like Jesus just by your being there. Amen. Amen. Let me wrap up things today uh, by praying for us. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, uh, whether you're a longtime Christian or you're still seeking uh, answers, deciding who this Jesus is, whoever you are, I want you to know that Jesus has set you free. There is a before and after difference that Jesus makes. He makes that difference in our personal lives. Probably every person here who has had that experience, that encounter with Jesus can tell you, man, this was the old me, and here's the new me, right? I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still getting it together. I'm not like perfect or anything like that, but man, there's just such a difference in my hope and my direction. And, and there is a real before and after difference 
just made universally, that God has made um, in his covenant with all of us. He hasn't just come, Jesus didn't come to, to give us more laws to meditate on, yet another set of rules to study and follow. But he has come and he's left us the Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us back to Jesus, who sets us free from ever having to try to measure up again. He sets you free from trying to measure up, from having to get good enough, from having to come forward and get saved again. He sets you free from that, from having to overachieve in order to identify with God or to have a relationship with him. The new covenant is the good news that God has saved you out of law into love. Out of law into love. So I challenge all of us this week, just to, just to, here's a little fun homework to do this week. Every time, every day, put aside a little time to meditate on how much God has loved you. Think about how much God has loved you, how much he has graced you, and then be willing to go and love other people that same way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you make us truly thankful, Lord. May our hearts, Lord, be filled with gratitude for your grace and your love, your glory, your beauty that is poured out to us through Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be a people whose eyes are open. To, to the millions of ways that you're moving all around us every day. The, all the ways that you're seeking relationship with us, Father. Then, Lord, may we live our lives to others out of, uh, with that forgiveness, with that same love that we have received from you. We thank you, Father, for that. Lord, we lift up those among us who are sick. We lift up folks like Pastor Albert. We thank you, Father, for healing in his body. We lift up those like Cherie Vanderberg. We speak their names. And we know there are many others, Father God. And you know their names. So we praise you, Father God, for healing power flowing into their bodies right now. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord God, that there is a difference. There's a before and after difference that Jesus did on the cross. So we thank you for the healing that he purchased, the wholeness, the shalom. We receive that into all of our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Our, our prayer partners would come forward right now. If there's anything at all that you would like someone to pray with you about, these guys are awesome to pray with. They will lead you in a prayer of faith, and things are never the same after that. Uh, if you'd like to send us a prayer request, there's a lot of different ways you can send us that. We have a whole prayer chain of people who would love to uh, make your prayer their prayer, and uh, we, we expect good things to happen out of that. Amen. Will you stand with me for a benediction this morning before we go? Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he make you instruments of that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness 
that he has poured into your life. May you be instruments of that to other people this week. Amen. Grace and peace be unto you. Bye-bye.